Hello, welcome to the Fit Finance Sessions. My name is Charlie Redding, founder of Efficient Portfolio. Uh, and today we're going to start the year off with a really cheery subject. Uh, that is because apparently the, the highest divorce rates happen in January. Uh, people have spent too long with each other at Christmas and it's driven them to despair. And so we're going to talk today about the impact of divorce on your financial planning and things to be aware of. A cheery subject to start the new year. I apologize for that in advance, but hopefully there'll be something there to uh, to liven it up a little bit. Um, now I'm joined here by Tom, uh, Tom Senegals, Tim Webb, Henry Ellison and Toby Colton, all of which are financial planners at Efficient Portfolio, uh, and all of which have a varying degree of uh, experience advising clients uh, through that are going through a divorce. So we'll have um, lots of things to talk about, I'm sure. Uh, but a couple of things I've just seen in the in the in the press in the last few weeks. Obviously, Jeff Bezos, the the owner of Amazon, the phenomenally wealthy. His wife is now phenomenally wealthy too, apparently, or now <laughs> soon to be ex-wife. <laughs> uh, so that's um, that's that's definitely going to be uh, a good payday for the lawyers, I would imagine. Um, but yes, January is the highest divorce uh, month of the year. But one stat that I did see, which I thought was really quite fascinating, is apparently each year, 13 divorces are filed for on Christmas Day. I mean, on Christmas Day, of all that, I mean, even if the turkey's bad, you'd still probably put it off to Boxing Day, wouldn't you? Does it happen uh, to, before the gifts have been given and received? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that works. But 13 divorces filed for on Christmas Day, apparently. So... Henry, let's kick off with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what historically, you know, if somebody was coming to you that's going through a divorce, what would that have looked like from a financial perspective, you know, from a financial planning process? And in terms of the process, the most common way in which we see it, or I've seen it in the past, um, has been that the lawyers who've been involved in in the decision making, um, the Crenisi, they've come to me towards the end of the process um, as the the assets have been agreed upon and split out and shared. Um, and quite quite typically, it would be the the lady of the of the couple will then be passed over, and she would have had very little dealings, perhaps, with the the financial planning and arrangements within the marriage, um, and is in need of some help. Um, and so, as I say, the lawyer then passes me their name, we get in touch, and we have a look at that point at the assets that she's going to be leaving leaving the relationship with. Um, and we then help to put together a plan for her, so that would be looking at perhaps the best way to um, invest her pension to generate the, the income that she might need going forward, especially if she hasn't been working um, or hasn't been earning as much as her as her ex. Um, so I guess, you know, and of course we'll then look at the investments and she may have received some cash. Um, she may have the children living with her, so we'd be looking at what money she's likely to be spending. Um, and perhaps we'd be also looking at the mortgage, if she's retained a mortgage on the family home or something along those lines. Um, so that that generally would be the would be a very a broad outline of, of of the things that we would look at and the processes that we would we would go through. And and Tom, are there any problems that you can that you see with only um, getting involved in the financial planning 
at the end of the divorce process, you know, rather than helping somebody through the divorce process from a financial point of view? I think a lot of the time when uh, an agreement's reached, it's done with all the best interest. But actually, when you start looking over the next 30, 40 years or, or longer, um, those assumptions can change and life changes. And uh, being able to look into the future, which is why we do a lot of lifetime cash flow forecasting, can give you a, a better idea of whether that deal is the right one. And sometimes the deals that are agreed seem okay on paper, but uh, in reality can work out very differently. I think, that, I think that's it. I think the, the lifetime cash flow forecasting is such a fundamental uh, tool for the for the going through the divorce um, because there's so much pain and angst about you know for somebody going through a divorce. One of those elements, but is is money, of course. Clearly, there are other elements, like for example, children who should be you know at the centre of everything that's that's talked about. So, if anything, if there's anything that you can do to take away financial pain and worry, and give them the peace of mind that actually the money wise is money wise they are going to be okay then that's got to allow them to, to focus better on the other elements of the, of the divorce, like the children, to, uh, to impact them as little as possible. And the lifetime cash flow forecast has got to be the best way of, of doing that. Um, I think ultimately as well, if, if you're a spouse and you're getting divorced, you want to agree a deal that the other person is going to come back in 10 years and ask for, for a different agreement because it wasn't correct at the outset. Whereas... If you can clearly show both parties are going to be okay, then ev- everyone's in agreement, everyone has more clarity and um, less uncertainty and less um, uh, more acrimony going forward. And it's a, it's a really good point because actually it, it's an, an example of a client that came to us, again introduced to us by uh, their solicitor. And this was a divorce that happened 15, 20 years ago. And the, the guy was on the hook for continuing to pay uh, uh, an ongoing maintenance fee for the rest of his life. And we were able to use lifetime cash flow forecasting to help show that, that actually this wasn't sustainable going forward. And that actually uh, the amount of capital that was originally being proposed to buy out this ongoing arrangement also wasn't uh, feasible. So we were able to use the lifetime cash flow forecasting with the help of the lawyer to be able to say, look, actually, this is the sort of stuff that is is sensible. So, yeah, breaking breaking previous divorce arrangements. I know that's a, it's less common for judges to want that uh, ongoing payment after children have, have uh, finished their education now I think they prefer a clean break don't they but historically that wasn't the case I think as well just to add to that your your lawyer doesn't always understand tax implications or how a pension works as well as maybe a financial planner does and I've seen it where certain things have been stipulated which if you apply financial planning to that you would you wouldn't have come to that agreement because it doesn't work in practice or it actually limits the client to uh, against the objective of what they're trying to achieve. Better understanding the assets, tax position and um, everything involved can allow a better overall outcome by understanding the, the constituent parts of your finances. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the lifetime cash flow forecast is the key to doing that, isn't it? It's the thing that gives you the clarity to say. And it also... Going through the divorce process, it's the tool that can say, well, actually, can, you can you again use it as evidence to say, look, 50% is not enough. I need 60%, and here's the evidence that that is 
that is uh, is why you know what I require. I came across an interesting case <clears throat> not so long ago, where um, where the husband, husband and wife were getting divorced, and the wife was considerably younger than the husband. Um, they'd been married for some time, and the the initial point of of separating the assets was was the usual kind of fifty fifty split. Um, but it was interesting because by the time you got the cash flow forecast going into it, you could show that the husband, because I mean, he was in his mid-70s and I think she was in her uh, mid to late 50s perhaps, it was a sizable gap, well actually the split shouldn't be 50-50, but it should be weighted towards the wife, just because the, the likely longevity of, of the two parties was that she was going to require a greater split of the assets to, to survive going forward. Yeah, and cash flow forecasting is just such a fantastic tool for highlighting that, isn't it? Well, I think the other thing is that it puts it down in a picture, um, which is yeah. just so much easier to understand. If you can show, here's a graph, and you can see the lines going down, and then they end in red lines when you go, oh, geez, I've got no money left, compared to another picture which has them all in green lines, and you're happily living in clover for the rest of your life. It's so powerful, I find. Yeah, yeah. And I think particularly when it's being used as evidence as well, it's far easier to explain and say, well, this is what 50-50 looks like, and this is what 60-40 looks like. This, one, this one's got red all over it, and this one hasn't. There you go, there's, there's the proof. Yeah. Um, that's, I think that's really powerful. Um, so with regards to pensions, uh, maybe, Tim, you can help us. To, how, do, how are pensions affected by uh, divorce? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, there's, it kind of comes in two two different hands, really. On one hand, it's actually quite a useful exercise, um, and on the other, not not so useful. Um, starting with the with the positive side of things, I suppose. Um, without getting too technical, um, it is both both hands, I suppose, largely derive um, from the lifetime allowance, which is um, essentially that the, the maximum amount of pension benefits that an individual, excluding the state pension, can accrue without. Once this, once this starts to take the money out, incurring significant tax charges. Um, at the moment, that's just over a million quid. Um, now, let's assume that the gent or the lady and the couple has one and a half million pounds, say, worth of pension benefits, and via the divorce process, the, um, the, the pension split by way of a pension sharing order or, or an earmarking order or something like that, along those lines, um, and the one and a half million is split equally, let's say, now obviously seven well, seven fifty ish call it so in, in each part. Now suddenly we're below the lifetime allowance. So as and when each party decides to take the benefits out of their respective pension, the, the tax benefit, the, the tax um, uh, implications no longer apply. And we're not talking shy shy figures. You know, it's probably one of the most punitive taxes out there. One of the two being fifty five percent on anything taken as a lump sum in excess of the allowance. So. We're talking some some size sort of figures. Really. So what you're saying is that divorce can actually help you mitigate a tax. Yes. I'm not sure. Not sure you're recommending that people go out and get divorced as a financial planning strategy. Although you could do, uh, but uh, might not be terribly popular. Uh, but but it does highlight the fact that if you are going to get divorced. <coughs> You really want to look at those pension assets because it may be advantageous to to get rid of half of your pension to equalise the um, the allowances. Yeah, exactly. That's it. And just hopping back to the cash flow forecast, I suppose. Let's assume that we're as a financial planner, we're part, we're working for only one of the couple. Getting involved in the process at the beginning allows us to give that power to the individual to go into the mediation process and actually know a bit more about the implications of splitting 
the whole estate or, or whatever the assets in, in different ways, i.e. potentially, you know, if, if the options were, well, I don't know, do I want the properties or do I want the pension split or, or how does it, you know, what's the best split for me? By us getting involved at that point, then we give them a bit more education, I suppose, as to what the implications are. So, yeah. And Toby, Tim just mentioned earmarking and pension splitting and pension sharing. Is there a predominantly used one or do you want to explain briefly what they are and which yes, ones certainly. So, um, I don't want to get too technical um, now. I think pension sharing is the more recent out of the three and that tends to be the more favoured amongst judges uh, these days. But it could it could occur that um, uh, earmarking, which which was one of the later ones, um, you may come come across a client who's, who's so awarded earmarking. Can you just explain the difference? Um, yeah, okay, so uh, pension sharing is, is how it sounds, so that would be awarded in a percentage split to, to each spouse. Um, earmarking is slightly more complex in that the spouse will be awarded um, some of the other spouse's pension when that comes into payment. But one of the um, things to look out for there, and one of the dangers there, is that the um, the spouse who is the member of the pension scheme, they um, only have to, um, or there's no rules as to when they crystallise their pension. So the other spouse may not end up receiving any of that pension if the spouse dies before they actually, the pension actually comes into payment. Right, so so, so earmarking basically leaves all the control with with the, the, with the, the member. member, with yeah. The member. Yeah, yeah. Whereas sharing is essentially splitting the two yeah, sections it, it, out and saying, well, you've got your bit, you do as you wish. and Exactly, yeah. that, that's, why, that's why judges now favour that, because it's a lot fairer on, on both spouses. It's a clean break from, from day one. Right, okay, brilliant. Um, and in terms of uh, yeah, things like enhanced protection and primary protection, which is where we're you know, protecting allowances over and above the lifetime, pensions over and above the lifetime allowance, how's that, Tim, how's that impacted by uh, divorce? Yeah, so it's mainly to do with primary protection. So primary protection is, is one which, um, again, not trying to get not too, not too technical, it's one of the, the, the original daddy protections, if you like, for, for, for lifetime allowance. It was kind of introduced for people at... 2006, 6th of April 2006, which is kind of the D-Day, if you like, um, for, for pension legislation, um, where there's all sorts of changes introduced. Um, those members with uh, pension benefits in excess of one and a half million um, could have their own personal lifetime allowance, if you like. Um, the key point to do with divorce here is that essentially, going back to what I was saying earlier on, in, that in, the, in the example that a pension sharing order was, was it, um, executed and there was a debit on said pension, if after the debit, the, the pension benefits are then lower than one and a half um, million. Then basically, their 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 personal lifetime allowance, which would be higher than one and a half million, would would cease to exist, and they'd then be subject to the normal allowance of, as I mentioned, just over a million pounds. So, quite a big difference, and we we'll end up with a, a, a pretty nasty tax charge afterwards. To be honest. Right. Okay. So we, you need to be really careful if you if you've got exactly. um, that type of protection. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, what about Henry? These um, so there's lots of different ways that you can get divorced and one of the, the uh, increasingly common ways is to go through a mediation process um, where you're sort of both sitting down in a room with a mediator trying to thrash out a sensible agreement in a, in a more friendly manner rather than having lawyers firing emails and, and letters at each other. Um, 
How would that work from a financial planning process? You know, could could a financial planner get involved in that process? Absolutely. And in truth, I think it's probably really useful that a financial advisor is involved as early as possible in the process as, as, they, as they can be. And indeed, I work with a few mediators and, and that's the way we find it works best. Within the process, what the mediator is trying to do is to try and thrash out a fair, equitable way of splitting everything, whether that be the finances or the, how the family is going to, to live afterwards. Um, but a mediator is, is a mediator. They're not a financial expert. Uh, they may have some training in some of the rudiment, rudimentary parts of finance, but, but very few. Similarly, they will have some qualification perhaps in family planning, but, but, but a limited amount. They're there really just to, to talk in a calm, composed manner between the two parties. So the way that we can help is, as I say, it works best that we come in right at the beginning. So we can start the whole process by sitting down with the, with the two partners within the divorce um, and working through the assets that they have, their ongoing incomes, their ongoing liabilities and expenses, so that actually they then have a really clear understanding of what everyone's got, what they're going to need going forward, who's going to take the family house. More often than not, they both want the family house. Is it affordable that they're going to both have the family house if there's a mortgage on it, for example? What are the value of the pensions? And if one of them's a defined benefit pension, is there some? what's, what's the actual um, cashable value of that DB pension? Um, and if it's a, a defined contribution money purchase scheme, what's the value of that and how can it be split? And the benefit in talking to people right at the outset is that they then go into these meetings with the mediators with a knowledge of what can happen and what's likely to be fair. Um, and what's advantageous, because of course, coming back to what Kim was talking about with the pension splitting, you might say, well, actually, I think it's a really good idea to split this asset or give up this asset because, you know, ultimately the beneficiaries are going to be the children where there are children. So the most that you can make out of the whole situation for the couple together is is um, is definitely the best way to do it. Oh, so, and, in, and in truth, you, I mean, going back to Toby's examples of how to, how to split a pension, of course there's a third option which is offsetting. So you don't take anything from a pension, if it's best, I appreciate that there may be reasons to split a pension. Um, but you actually offset the family home, for example, against the value of the pension, yeah. which might be, which may well be the you know the best way for if someone particularly wants a family home but they don't want to to worry about the pension. So yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, fantastic. I mean, it is a. I, I think I agree. I think working with the couple rather than at, at the start and through that mediation process got the op- opportunity to save them and their children quite a lot of money in the long run. Um, now, despite the fact, I understand that divorce rates are actually dropping. Um, that is, I think, because marriage rates are dropping, and ultimately the number one cause of divorce is marriage, apparently. But as a dad of two girls, I'm also thinking about the next generation and thinking, okay, well, what if you know, one of my girls meets the son-in-law from hell and suddenly he walks off with half of my... Uh, Hard-earned money, um, having divorced, you know, married and divorced one of my one of my daughters. So, is there anything that we can do to sort of prevent against that sort of uh, uh, future worry, Tom? Maybe you can take that on. 
Yeah, so the best way to do that is to leave your assets in, into a trust, a discretionary trust, um, which can protect against things such as divorce, but also creditors, third parties and, and other bits and pieces. And really, tax benefits are there, but really it, it's more about protection of the bloodline. If you can leave your assets down the bloodline to who you want to, then um, then that's going to be the best outcome. Um, and I think the main thing to consider is quite a lot of people have happy families now, but the, as much as divorce rates are dropping, the divorce rates in the uh, over 60s, um, as people's lives change and actually they can live longer through retirement, um, that's causing a much higher rate of divorce later on in life as opposed to, say, in, in, in the early, earlier stages. I think that's a really good point, actually. When I had the, the Dream Retirement published back in, published in 2015, I predicted uh, that um, divorce rates would go up around retirement because of conversations I was having with lawyers uh, uh, in the research of, of doing that book. Uh, because there was a quite a, there was this quite a um, number of cases, and a, 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 an example that I was chatting to a lawyer about was a police officer. And you know, police officer has generally a fairly moderate salary throughout their working life, but of course they then get to retirement and they get this big lump sum and this really rather handsome pension. And ironically, the lawyer was saying that actually quite quite often people are, are getting divorced at that stage. Because it's the first time in their life they've actually really been able to afford to get divorced, which sounds like a horrible thing, uh, but but actually it's true. You know, this, you know, they've also got this lump of money, and they're thinking, right, you know, I can trade this one in for a younger model, um, you know, <laughs> midlife crisis type territory. But I think it was, I thought it was fascinating because I then applied that to pension freedom, where you could then access the whole of your pension rather than just the tax-free lump sum, and figured that actually probably pension freedom would would maybe cause a, a, an increase in divorce around retirement. And sure enough, that's what the statistics are showing. So it is quite fascinating how that can, um, that can uh, continue. Um, I think that the, um, one of the, the difficult bits of the divorce is the 4E, um, which I know quite often gets mentioned as a really daunting uh, aspect, and it's kind of an important piece of the jigsaw at the start of the divorce process. Mm. Do you want to explain how a financial planner being involved can help uh, completing for me? Yeah, the, the for me is that it, it is daunting. It's daunting primarily because of its size. And, and although I can't remember the exact number of pages off the top of my head, I'm sure it stretches to well over 20 and possibly 30. The, the point behind for me is it's a disclosure of your financial circumstances. So it asks you to describe your pensions and the value of your property, the value of your mortgage, um, as well as some of the some of the the parts of the jigsaw that you want from your future life. So, where do you want to live in the future? What income are you going to require reasonably, um, as opposed to trying to just extract everything you possibly can? As financial planners, this is pretty much what we do day in day out for our clients: is look at these um, statistics, as you were, and try to understand them and. and, and and work through them. And actually, I found with a number of my clients that, that helping with for me has been has been brilliant because I actually understand all the questions that are being asked and can really help 
hold the hand of my client in taking them through this journey. Not only that, actually, it then provides me with a whole heap of the information that I then need to put together for future financial plans for my clients. So what pension have they got and how's it invested and what's it worth and all that sort of stuff, which is, which is really useful. But it is a daunting document and it does take some time to go through it. But, but, but with a little bit of help, we're, we're really well placed to, to help with that. Not only that, then of course taking it through into the into the mediation and, and the part that I was describing a little bit earlier. In having all that information from the for me really then helps with that that first bit of financial planning for the for the divorced in couples to where should the assets go and who should who should take what share of them. Fantastic. Yeah, I think I think that the for me is a daunting thing, but I think anything you can do to help the client uh, complete that is has got to take a load of pain away. Um, from them for sure. Yeah. Um, the last piece of the jigsaw, I think, um, is I suppose actually the advisor's investment uh, advice is is fundamental to uh, the, the divorce process as well. The, the best example I can give you here is there was a story around the credit crunch of a guy that was uh, one of the senior partners in Lehman Brothers getting divorced, and in the divorce process, he said said right, you can keep the what you can keep the house. You can keep all the money, you can have everything, or I want to keep all my Lehman Brothers shares. Damn. And he kept all his <laughs> exactly. You can see where this is going. <laughs> but the judge didn't quite, because the Lehman Brothers shares were so much, he said, right, okay, so that's fine. You can keep the Lehman Brothers shares, but one year from the divorce, you've also got to pay her an additional £250,000. Of course, one year later, the, the shares are worth nothing. She had got the house, all of the, me- the money that they'd had in their marital relationship, and he had to go back to court because he, he didn't have the 250000 because he'd been completely wiped out. So don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Diversification is the key to successful investing. Whether you're you know, going through a divorce process or not, process or not then you really want to, to bear that in mind. Well, I think unless there's anybody, anybody's got any final points they want to raise with regard to, to divorce, um, I think we'll wind it up for, for today's Fit Finance sessions. I hope you found that interesting. I hope it's not applicable to you because I hope you're not going through a divorce. But if you know somebody that is, then as, we, as I say, I think the earlier that the financial planner can get involved, the better it will be because of things like lifetime cash flow forecasting to help them through that journey and give them the peace of mind of what the, their financial future is going to look like. Next Fit Finance sessions uh, will be around the tax year end. It'll be February, so it'll be just before the end of the tax year. So it'll be a few tips on what you can do before the end of the tax year to maximise the money that you've made and to maximise your allowances. So thank you for listening. I hope you've uh, enjoyed the session and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again next month. Thank you.